Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. I could see you. I saw what you did just there. You don't know the technology that we have here. We know who you are, where you are, and what you're doing. <laughs> no, we don't, but Daryl Bricker does. Daryl is the CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs, a great um, polling firm, of course. And we speak with uh, Daryl regularly about the polling that Ipsos does for Global News. And uh, more Canadians, this is not good news. This is really disturbing news. More Canadians are giving up on owning a home. They say it's only for the rich. Uh, this experience is also contributing to a declining national birth rate. And, uh, or could be. But StatScan says a birth rate in this country is at historic lows, which takes us to another point we're going to talk about with Daryl. And each time we do, there's a great response. Uh, the book that he co-wrote with John Ibbotson is Empty Planet. Remember when we were all concerned about overpopulation? Well, it's underpopulation that's the concern now. Hey, Daryl, we, we do know where people are, what they're doing, right? We do know where they are and what they're doing because they tell us. <laughs> Play along with me, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't want you to. I know I know this is professional territory for you, and it's very, very important. Um, so more than two, th and, and I appreciate everything you do and when you come on the program. Thank you so much. And I always remind people to buy your book next. It's the book that everybody should have in this country because it's a real look at what's going to be happening in Canada. It's called Next by Daryl Bricker. So more than two-thirds of Canadians have given up on the dream of owning their own home. Two-thirds. Who are these people, Daryl? Well, disproportionately younger people and people who are living in real estate markets they describe as difficult. So uh, basically where, where our population is growing the most and among the younger part of that population in particular. Yeah, that's, that's really disturbing. What would that number have been 10 years ago, five years ago? Well, you know, you can look at uh, polls going back 10, 15 years, and what you see is that housing, to the extent it actually showed up on uh, on the, the list of top issues that people were concerned about, was always the same thing, which would be housing for people who are in low-income categories or dealing with homelessness, and it was really focused in the cities. Uh, but what we're seeing now is it's middle-class housing, you know, entry-level housing for for uh, for people who are are working that is actually uh, becoming the big issue. And that's why it's been pushed to the top of the list. We're sure we still have problems with homelessness and, and, and uh, finding accommodation for uh, people who have uh, low incomes, but it's people in the middle class who are now getting caught out. Yeah, and I would imagine even people who have the down payment, if they've been saving for a long period of time and they have the down payment, one of their concerns is, hey, the, we buy it with a down payment, how will we know that we can possibly afford the mortgage payments with what's going on? And, and that's the extra added layer here, um, because I can tell you that, you know, housing was an issue even a bit prior to the pandemic. I mean, people were just worried about uh, the, the tightness of the, uh, of, of the, of the marketplace and, uh, and how difficult it was to find a, a, a home close to the place that they worked. So usually in car commuting suburbs where most of the Canadian, po where the Canadian population is going the fastest. But uh, we go through the, pa the pandemic and we come out on the other end. And now it's all the same stuff, but 
adding on inflation as a as a new factor here. So you've got, as you said in your intro, uh, large groups of the population now saying, you know, I think this is really only something for the rich. And since the end of the Second World War, middle class housing was always the, the the point of aspiration. It was the point of achievement for people who were working their way into the middle class or had middle class status. And now that's being denied them. And that's why you're seeing what you're seeing. Do they have, there's um, a significant percentage or any appreciable percentage of the people who are concerned, uh, two-thirds of Canadians have given up on the dream of owning their own home. Is that for their lifetime or do they have a sense that, you know, five years, seven years, ten years down the road, things will have changed sufficiently that they'll be able to purchase a home? No, it seems like to me it's more of a, a, a cultural disappointment. I mean, it's it's like they don't see a way um, to, uh, to to actually ever achieve it. Wow. That goal. Um, so maybe they're changing some of their priorities, but that that status that owning your own home still has in Canada is uh, is, is something that's still very paramount in the, in the minds of Canadians. For example, when you ask them, you know, what's the, the single best thing that you can do to financially prepare for the future, they always say buy a home. Um, you know, a lot of people are depending on their homes or getting access to homes for their retirement. It's, it's really integrated into uh, people's economic planning, but also, as I said before, a sense of, 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 of cultural progress. And I wouldn't want to be the politician turning around and saying, you know, you're right, you should give up on that. Because I think the reaction is going to be very, very negative. <laughs> well, the political parties are already paying a price for that because people will look to... Because politicians run for the job of managing our country or a province or a city. They, you know, they have fancy titles, prime minister, minister of this and that and the other, premier, uh, minister of this, this, that, the other, mayor, councillors, whatever. And uh, they pay themselves very nice salaries. And depending on what level of government you're in, you get a really nice pension when you're far too young to receive a pension. So they are totally dependent on the um, goodwill of the folks who vote them in. And uh, Canadians, younger Canadians particularly, are, I would imagine, turning on political parties and incumbent governments. Would I be right about that? Yeah, you are. And uh, that's why we're building up into a change election, particularly at the federal level in this country. And I think that if you know this issue con continues on, if the Ford government decides to take another go at it, if Doug Ford decides to take another go at it in, in Ontario, or any provincial premier decides to take a go at it, where the, this real estate issue has become really important to people, um, they do so at their peril. Is this national, Daryl, or is it more pronounced in certain areas of the country? Yeah, it's more pronounced in the in the places where uh, people say that they have a tighter housing market, but it's surprising the number of people who say that they actually do <laughs> a, t a tighter housing market. Remember, 80% of the population in Canada lives in a town that's bigger than 1,000, and 40% of us live in just four places. So it's a lot of people. Only 20% of Canadians live in rural parts of the country now. We're a very urbanized, uh, pretty much suburban uh, population. And that's where we're really seeing the pressure. Yeah. I, when I came back from Quebec and I lived in a very rural area on the Vermont border where, you know, and I, it was a 10 or 15 minute drive to the border. And if I saw a pickup truck and a bull or a cow along the way, it was a very busy day. When I, when I got back to uh, Southern Ontario, when I got back to the Toronto Hamilton area, I was horrified by the amount of traffic that I saw. And that was just in nine years, the increase. And, uh, and, and, I, and I looked at house prices and I thought, oh my God, what is going on here? 
And I, so I can understand when we have a significant, significantly large majority of the population saying we're just not going to be able to afford it, the younger people. So what are they going to do? What are, what are their plans? Well, this is this is the real question going forward. I mean, there are some people uh, who argue that maybe we need to get rid of that expectation and we should be looking at building uh, homes in denser parts of uh, our major cities and changing the way that we live. So maybe going to more of a, a European model. And I think there's going to be a certain number of people who are going to be arguing for that. But then there's another group of people who are going to be saying, you know what, um, what we need to do is we need to expand access to those types of middle-class uh, homes that, that people live in in the suburbs, and that is, leads to issues like, for example, debates over the Greenbelt. So all of these things are going to come together as we, as we go into the future um, and be a lot more politically controversial than they've been in the recent past. And all of these issues, and this is something I think we should keep in mind, all of these issues eventually have an economic impact. They impact the cities if the people decide to move out to the country. They impact the country if it starts to get overpopulated or more populated. It impacts uh, the ability to get to work. When you look at inflation, the cost of gasoline, and I can't buy a house, so I have to find some place to live. And I, all of these issues start to really, I was going to say filter down to the economy, but I would say filter up to the economy. Yeah. Well, they all have and they all have economic impacts, but the other impact, big impact, is just population impacts. I mean, if we if we look at what's really going on here, what's ha- really happening is population change. Uh-huh. So, um, concentration of people in car commuting suburbs, uh, a massive expansion of immigration, and people coming to this country who need places to live, putting pressure on the markets, and all of this adding up to another problem, which is, of course, you mentioned it in your intro, people just have stopped having kids because yeah. they can't afford them and for a whole series of other reasons, which then cycles back and increases the need for more immigration. Yeah. And so yep, and it's, yep. a, it's a very toxic kind of a situation we find ourselves in. You said to me in the past that global population decline is going to bring with it quite a few benefits, many benefits, but it's also going to bring with it some real challenges. So can you weigh one against the other? Let's start with the benefits. And we have about four minutes. Yeah, biggest benefits are all going to be environmental. I mean, if if there's a linkage between the size of our population and the degradation of the environment, fewer people is going to mean better things for the environment. Um, But the big challenges are going to be economic and and a lot of social policy issues related to not just the size of the population, but the rapid aging of the population, which is the real issue. Okay, and, uh, and, and then what's the greatest challenge going to be? The, the, the greatest negative? Well, the biggest negative is going to be the, the future of our economy. I mean, uh, basically, since the Industrial Revolution, there's been a huge degree of, of correspondence between the amount the population has grown and the consumption of the population and economic growth. And if we need economic growth to, to fuel our economy, who are going to be those consumers who are going to be doing it? And if you have just fewer of them, they're going to be buying fewer fewer things, but also combining it with older, much older population who tend to be hoarders rather than consumers. And that's when we really start to get into difficulty. So most of the issues are going to be economic and then taking care of that older population, which is going to be incredibly expensive. Healthcare, Social Security. Healthcare, Social Security, uh, everything related to dealing with a population that has a higher uh, demand for public services. But wouldn't wages be considerably higher with a smaller population? Job, I mean, job demand, be demand for workers. 
Oh yeah, no. There's there's clearly going to be opportunities for people who are, in particularly who are younger, uh, to provide uh, the, the kinds of things that the the economy is going to need. But increasingly, those people are going to be pulled into doing things like, for example, providing for the older population hmm. uh, and, and serving that older population, dealing with healthcare issues and things of that nature. Not necessarily plugged into things like manufacturing because. Older populations aren't as consumptive of, of goods and services, well, more services, but not goods as younger populations. What's the timeline here, Daryl? It's happening right now, Roy. I mean, today, uh, you can sit back and you can take a look at the baby boom, for example. So people born in, uh, uh, you know, from between the end of the uh, Second World War in 1964, well, they're all going to be 65 as, the, as of uh, the year 2030. Um, the entire global baby boom is going to be 65 as of 2030. And if you go into the 2040s and 2050s, that baby boom is going to be leaving this mortal, mortal coil. So all the challenges that are associated with, with these things are not happening 100 years from now. They're happening 20, 30 years from now, starting actually today, but really accelerating by 2030. I was going to ask you about that, accelerating. Because when we get, if we have that number, we, we're going to get to by 2030, and, uh, and then uh, the baby boomers die off. Most of them not working. Um, well, I don't want to say that, but you know, not having a job. Well, I've got to be careful what I say. Um, but less of them being around. Well, how do I say this? Fewer being uh, around. That would just accelerate the issue, wouldn't it? It just adds to the acceleration. Well, yeah. So normally we look at a healthy population as one that looks like a pyramid, right? You know, right. we've got lots of people coming into the population at the bottom. And as you go farther up the pyramid, fewer people because they all leave the earth at, at some point. Right. Um, but what we're doing is we're flipping that pyramid. So you have a, a much smaller group of people supporting a much larger, larger group of dependents, gotcha. at least the way that we structured society today. If you want to hear more, Subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.